Are dents and scratches putting a dent in your day? Introducing Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide, your trusted solution for automotive woes. With over two decades of expertise, Rogerstein Crash Repairs guarantees top-notch service, restoring your vehicle to its former glory in no time. From minor dings to major collisions, our skilled technicians handle it all with precision and care using state-of-the-art equipment and techniques. Rogerstein Crash Repairs saved my car. It looks brand new. Fast, friendly and reliable. I wouldn't trust anyone else with my vehicle. Don't let accidents slow you down. Visit Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide at 14 Penner Avenue, Glind for quality service you can count on. And here's a special offer just for our listeners. Mention this podcast and receive a $100 discount on your repair. Roger Steen Crash Repairs Adelaide. Excellence in every repair. Previously, Previously. on the Game On Podcast. Now, we do have to ask you one question here, Rick. Now, I've always been a believer as an, an opener, it helps if you're really good mates with, the, with, the, with your opening partner. And you yeah. were with Graham Wood, yet the two of you were kamikaze and it was always virtually, <laughs> let's, let's have a bet which one of the two of them is going to get run, run out. Run out yep. Mind you, yeah. it seemed to be you more often than Graham. I will say that, that Rick, but you ne- the two of you for good mates never really mastered the a- uh, running between wickets as a pair, though. No, no, um, still still the best of mates. In fact, we probably text or, or call each other, you know, once every week, once every couple yeah. of weeks these days, particularly during the footy season, um, where we've got a, both got a bit to say. But, uh, uh, yeah, running between wickets wasn't... Uh, it wasn't our strong suit, was it? But uh, no, it was always entertaining. How does that come about, though? I mean, who's calling what? Because you can't oh, be running each other out that much. No, no, no. What what we've both agreed on is that, uh, um, say, if you're running for, I, I was, I was a bit quicker than Woody. Yes. All right. So if we, if I was coming back for the third, he was. He was just finishing the second, all right. So I'd, I'd come, I'd come back for the third, yep. and uh, and of course he wasn't ready to come back for the third, and so he he would send me back, or I would send him back, or then there'd be confusion, and yes. then all all things uh, hit the fan. So, uh, but yeah, there was a bit of a census taking uh, taken years ago where um, uh, where we worked out who. Who was responsible and who wasn't? Well, I was responsible for for running out Woody twice, and Woody was responsible for running him him running me out six times. Sportscast SA presents Game On. Game On. South Australia's destination for everything sports. Local, national, and international sports. AFL football, soccer, basketball, golf, baseball, tennis, cricket, and any other sports played in this wide world. And we're going to have a blast doing it. So sit back, relax, and let's do this thing. Welcome to Game On. 
Welcome to Game On. My name's Pete. Once again, joined with Malcolm and uh, Rick Darling. Part two was fantastic and obviously very topical at the moment with the Adelaide Oval being used, obviously, for the test match in the cricket this week. And looking forward with your good self to catching up with Rick uh, to, as we're recording on a Monday night, yep. catching up with Rick tomorrow night at Adelaide Lutheran Footy Club, virtually the corner of South Terrace and West Terrace. Anyone's, anyone can come, free to come along, uh, old-fashioned sports night sort of sort of thing with John Harms and myself. Absolutely, looking forward to it and also catching up with Rick as well. Around the Grounds. All right, around the grounds today, we're going to talk some baseball. We're going to talk the SNFL with West Adelaide, the soccer, Adelaide United, and our special guest today is Nick Winter. So looking forward to that. But as per usual, mate, we're going to kick off with the AFL. We'll start off with Adelaide this time round. Adelaide signed Hinge until 2026. Yeah, look, he came down from Brisbane and been a success story, really, as a running back, also Tom on the wing, and... He's really become a pretty important player for Adelaide. So, yeah, good luck to him. He's br- of course, his brother and John played a couple of games at Adelaide as well. Yep. So, yeah. Fantastic for Adelaide to secure a fantastic player for another couple of years. Another one of that young brigade that are coming through. So, And uh, the Irishman entering the nest, the Crow's Nest. Yes, another Gallagher enters the, uh, Crows, <laughs> yes. the Crow's Den, obviously there. I don't mind that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, look. Interesting to to hear him interviewed and just it was a, something which dated back quite several years before um, COVID mm-hmm. and yeah so you know, Mitch Hinge signing on as we said and and now Gallagher's committed so yeah it's um, oh look does that help someone like a Mark Keane you know obviously fellow countryman. Obviously, you you would suspect that they'd probably be living together or as part of a group that would be together. That can only be a good thing to help players settle in. And you know, we don't quite understand a player coming from another um, country or another culture uh, coming to play in a totally different sport that they've not really been used to. Even though the Gaelic footy is probably the closest thing to AFL that uh, that is going around. Yeah, Carl Gallagher, Just a, it's a chance, also just someone else to feel at home and, you know, go through your transition, you know, what parts have you gone okay with, any parts you've really struggled, mm-hmm. confide in each other a bit. Jeez, can't do that bloody kick on the left. Yes. How have you gone there? On a purely footy side, but probably more importantly, off the off the uh, ground. Yep. And, you know, what are you doing with your spare time? Yep. Now that, it sounds a, an unusual comment, but, Trust me, it's something the clubs really worry about with players because they have got free time mm-hmm. and that can lead to so many things. Gambling is probably the main one which yep. clubs worry about. Yes. Because uh, let's be honest, you could virtually bet 24 hours a day non-stop uh, nowadays. So, well, yeah. well, the access that we've got these days, you're exactly yeah. right. So anyway, all right, let's move on to Port Adelaide. Uh, positive signs at Port Adelaide that the faithful have signed on for 2024 as of today. Uh, currently sitting at 47,084 members already committed. That is a fantastic result for Port Adelaide. It's interesting, isn't it? After all the carry-on about there'll be backlash for signing on Hinkley and all that, I think it's more hot air in the end and people get on with it. So, yeah. I think it's absolutely fantastic for Port Adelaide that 
you know, that the uh, the crowd is showing their faith, and they are in an exciting period of time. I mean, we've talked about it over the last couple of weeks with the, yep. the Fab Three and, you know, obviously a couple of recruits. They're recruiting for the here and the now. Which I think people would look upon that, hey, we're a chance this year, you know, Radicalia and you know, Soldo, yep. Sweet, etc. So, yeah, um, I just think it's more good that people have committed... Well, I mean, it's good for the club as well. Uh, we'll stay on the AFL. Uh, Collingwood's Scott Pendlebury closing in on 400 games. He's basically done everything in the game, and I think we sort of forget that a little bit. You know, obviously, being in South Australia, we want to concentrate, obviously, on the Adelaide teams. But Scott Pendlebury, you know, drafted back in, what, 2005, and he's really won every award that there has been to win. Virtually. And, look, he's a senior statesman, someone mess- massively respected. I think we actually get sick of the commentary always mentioning his basketball background and that <laughs> yep. sort of thing. It's become a bit tiresome. Yep. It's just time and space. He's one of those sort of like the Mark War of cricket always seems to have time and disposes. Great decision maker. And Father Time really hasn't caught up with him no, as much as it has with other players. And that's probably <laughs> the, uh, the, the most interesting part about Scott Pendlebury is that, yeah, Father Time hasn't caught up with him and he's been able to reinvigorate himself as the team, as in general, has gone through changes. And I think it was interesting. There was sort of a time, geez, we're going to have to move him to half-back and he'll become the general back there. And that didn't really last that long. He was back in the midfield pretty quickly. And you only had to look at his last quarter and last year's grand final. He was the player you know, who was still getting the footy and, and all that. And he, he's just, yeah... Fantastic player, immensely respected within the game, and I think his 400th game will be a... It'll be a huge celebration. It'll be a celebration of the game, and that's how it should be. Uh, It would be magnificent. I don't know what his off-field roles have been through his career, but... You know, you put someone like him with uh, with Joel Selwood and, and yeah. Aaron Phillips, you know, yeah. in AFL House somewhere uh, to help grow the game or take it to the next level. I think his uh, contribution would be invaluable. But we'll see how that goes. Collingwood might snap him up as part of their front front of Who house. Knows. You just don't know. That's exactly He'll certainly right. be in demand. And obviously with the pre-season recommencing for the new year, there's obviously a few things that are going on at the moment, but the biggest one for me... And that came across my desk today is Carlton's Jacob Wiedering facing an extended period on the sideline after a calf injury. Not what you want in the preseason. Yeah, not a great injury. And also, he's probably he's actually a little bit young for doing... I know he's been around, but the calf injury and all that is more your late 30s. Yes. Myself doing one umpiring an under-11s footy <laughs> game on a Saturday morning it was pretty embarrassing. I like that one. Um, yeah, so... He's going to miss five or six week block. Yeah, they reckon about eight at the moment. So that's probably indication to me that that's a little more serious. Decent job of it. Yeah. So also out of that, it means that you really, he's probably almost restricted to walking laps and in the pool. So it's it's going to put him behind the eight ball a bit. So yeah, look, he's a very good player. We all you know. Wow. Argue, yeah, he's certainly one of the competition's best defenders. Absolutely. Um, so, well, you think about that ball against Melbourne that he centred to to 
basically set up the uh, the winning goal in the end in that uh, what was elimination first final semi. so first semi yeah um so yeah no he will be sorely missed and obviously we'll keep a bit of an eye out over the next couple of weeks for some other clubs we don't want to be reporting injuries all the time but um that was just one that came yeah. across uh, the yep. desk today so all right mate we move on to cricket test match cricket returns to the adelaide oval what are we expecting from the west indies not much that's probably the way of being blunt. Yep. Um, well, that probably leads me into my next point is crowds. What are we expecting? Is it going to be a smaller crowd than usual or is it a case of this is the time of year where Adelaide sort of goes, you know what, the Adelaide Oval Test is my event. I'm going to go to it. Uh, I'm going to participate in all the activities that obviously happen behind the grandstands as yeah. well as, as, well as uh, on the ground as well. Is it a case of that you won't see too much of a change? Not sure. It ha- it hasn't been the normal build up for an Adelaide Test that's, match either. That's it's why been I asked. Very quiet, very almost mute sort of thing. And look, <laughs> while we're on the subject of Channel Seven, pretty poor that uh, their advert the other night was the Test match starting Thursday in Adelaide. So yeah, <laughs> only a day late. So that was pretty average. Um, Hopefully, it's not over by then. Yeah, that's that's uh, the worry. So, oh look, hopefully they'll be competitive. But it's just. I know that we do support Test cricket. We are South Australia per per head of population. population yep. Are the number one supporters of Test cricket. It is something we're proud of and all that, but it certainly hasn't. It hasn't even had anywhere near the build up last year's did. We playing when we played West Indies as well. Mm-hmm. Um, is it a case of one spitting twice shy? Maybe a little bit, and also it's a bit ironic that. Some of the weather we've had so far over the years hasn't really suited the day and night. As we said, it wasn't rounds of beers, it was rounds of soup. It was that bloody cold. Yeah, coffee and soup, yep. The weather, this, the weather this week, ironic, with not a day-night test match, it looks like it would have been perfect for day-night test cricket. So At this yeah. stage, they're predicting Wednesday as being the cooler of the days yeah. for the test matches. So, yeah, yeah that's going to be very, very interesting to see how that one plays out. But, um, yeah, I, I'm... Like I said, I haven't seen very much from from a build-up point of view as well, hence the reason why we put it on the run sheet today. Uh, Mate, the Strikers, they're going to play finals. We weren't as confident last week talking about it, but they're just starting to hit some form at the right time. Probably bowling's been... So they've changed tack and decided to take the pace off the ball and bringing Lloyd Pope into the squad as a replacement player for... Mm -hmm. I think it was for for Travis in the end. Mm -hmm. Um has worked and him and Boyce has probably been the surprise. You know, he well, he had some big sho- shoes to fill. Let's yeah, let's be honest. But he's also been around the traps. Yes, he's been at numerous. Like he was actually here once before. Yep. So he's been at numerous sides around the twenty twenty. Was with Hobart. Jeez, uh, I think he's had a stint with Brisbane. I'm trying to think. So he's certainly been around. He's a Leyland brother. He's an extended Leyland brother. He's been here, there, and everywhere. Yeah, we might, we'll do it we'll, as we go along here. I'm just trying to have a have a bit of look, but no, it's great to see the strikers obviously uh, hitting form at the right time, and yeah, they are going to end up playing finals, which is fantastic as Mel- well. Melbourne Renegades, so Adelaide previously, and the ironic thing is he's only played one Shield game since 2015-16, so he was with Hobart as well. Yeah, and a little bit disappointing in that way because. I think he, I actually think he has potential in the longer form. You know, 
the more important form of the yes. game, personally. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so, but he's been in it. And Jake Weatherall, who'd struggled at the start, you would have thought, geez. Might struggle a little bit. A, you know, he's had a few couple of average years. All of a sudden, will he get another contract? But then he's come in when Chris Lynn did a hammy batting, ironically, not running. Mm-hmm. Actually did it playing a shot. That uh, he's exploded the last couple of games and... Smashed them. Well, apart from that, apart, yes, apart from that run out which we yeah, have I, talked about, yeah, where we just scratch our head and go, "What? Are you, what are you doing, Jake?" Uh, but while we're talking about Jake, obviously he's the first strikers player in Fran- in strikers franchise history to reach two thousand runs. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, yeah, it's a significant milestone that you know, he's reached. So richly deserved as well, yeah. and obviously a past guest on our show. So we're going to pump him up as much as we possibly can. I might give you heaps for the way you've spelled his name on the running sheet. But that's <laughs> so all right. Mate. I did it very, very yeah, quickly today because okay. we're in a bit of a rush. But anyway. Yeah, that's all right. All right, mate. We'll move on to the tennis for the Australian Open. Obviously, first couple of days at Melbourne Park, all the satellite tournaments or, or um, pre-warm-up tournaments have been completed around Australia, up in Brisbane, Sydney, Adelaide in Perth. Um, and day one didn't disappoint with Novak Djokovic taking to his longest first-round match for a very, very, very long time. It's a bloody good match and really high standard. Some of the rallies, you know, glimpsed over a few times. And, yeah, so um, interesting. Starting that day earlier, they've gone the 15-day Grand Slam. Um, and it looked like so far it worked yesterday. So Well, a little bit. Feedback, yes, um, a, a little overall. bit. Uh, obviously, Djokovic playing an eighteen-year-old qualifier, Dino Prismic. Yeah, I was, uh, was going to let you. Have yeah, a crack thank on you that. very much. Um, obviously, that match went a little bit longer, and then that obviously leads us into our next uh, topic, which was defending women's champion Sabalenka starts just before midnight because that game did go a little bit longer, and this is what yeah. they're trying to avoid a little bit. Yeah, but she was done and dusted six love six one in fifty three minutes. So, yeah. you know, he's sort of. You can understand the players obviously not wanting to be starting matches, say after ten PM. It's just crazy. No, but when it comes to TV and everything else, obviously for the other side of the world, it's sort of slots in. So it's a hard one to uh, to. What do they run out the one o'clock one o'clock game rounds rounds of beers and euros that you've been out you've been out all night? We've all been there, done that. Well, Uh, I I mean, I've talked off to the pie cart in between (laughs) games. Exactly right. The uh, the Flinders Street pie cart might have got a bit of a working over. I mean, I remember sitting. One t- one time watching Leighton until about half past yeah. four in the morning. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Uh, you know, you couldn't get a bus, you couldn't get a taxi, you couldn't get a train, you couldn't get anything. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I know that they're starting a little bit early to try and sort of help that out a little bit. I'm sure as the tournament goes on, um, it will certainly happen. And I think personally it looks like the little bit of delay that happened on day one was probably a bit of backlog from the qualifying events. Yes, because the they didn't use weather yeah, over in Melbourne in the – qualifiers as well. And they weren't using all of the no, courts because is... the players were practising yeah. um, on the indoor courts. So, yeah, there was a little bit of to and fro there, yeah. and I think this is part of the reason why potentially the first day was a little bit late. But anyway, that's okay. We'll move on. Uh, Australians in action. Obviously, we're on Alex Dumina, who is due to play tonight, Tuesday night. We will uh, – sorry, Monday night. Uh, yeah. We will be putting this podca- podcast out a bit earlier. So yeah. hopefully, fingers crossed – all 
uh, roads lead to him winning yeah. in round one. It's a hard game. He's got uh, Radiac first up. It's not a great person to draw in the first round. Big, so. big serving Canadian. It's a, it's a huge game. Unbelievable. Alexi Popperin having a big win today out. Uh, on one of the outside, outside courts, courts there. Darius Seville losing in three sets yeah. there, unfortunately for her. She was a wild card into the event, obviously coming, coming back, back from injury as well. So um, very, very interesting there. A couple of Australians playing each other, Volkic and Thompson. Thompson leading two sets to one, but unfortunately at the moment, down a break, down a break in the fourth. So... Uh, the other one that we want to look out for is Hitch Carter. He's obviously playing after the All-Australian Thompson. And Duckworth, a.k.a. Duckworth Lewis, going down. You know, one of my favourite players because of that. So, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, going down in five yeah. grueling Again, sets. Unfortunately, he's played a lot of five-setters and doesn't and just doesn't quite get over the line, unfortunately. And a player who's bowed out, but bowed out with... Class was John Millman. I heard a couple of interviews since with him, and that. And now he's a player I respect immensely. Got, I think the the nth got that last drip. Out yes, of, out, out of himself, out of him, and that. So, yeah, all the best to John Millman, and and uh, in the best in his retirement. And obviously, very famously winning that match. I think it was against Federer at the time yeah. uh, at the U.S. Open. Open. Huge result for him, and that's something that he'll. Um, hold with him for the rest of his life. But, yeah, I think the Australian Open could have probably given him a wild, a wild card just for that one last swan song, but yeah, wasn't meant to be. So we'll obviously be reporting a little bit more on the second week of the Australian Open next week, mate. So um, we're going to take a very, very quick break. As I said, when we come back, the baseball, the SNFL, the soccer, and Nick Winter. You're listening to the Game On Podcast. We'll be right back after this short break. All right, we had to move this team up the batting order this week. The Adelaide Giants, uh, clean sweep in their final home series against the Blue Sox Yeah, on the weekend. Good, good result, which still keeps uh, the first place finish with one more round to go before the finals. Yes, Adelaide I, playing the Brisbane Bandits. Yeah, it, which will be a hard series. I admit I actually thought that was the final series. It wasn't actually written up properly in their program. I think they may have corrected their website on the <laughs> yep. weekend. Um, and that, so yeah. But it was good to get the clean sweep because the couple of times previously they won the first three and last two series and lost the, the fourth. So yes. it was good to get all four. Well, uh, out of the way and ticked off. Absolutely. Game one winning 4 nothing. Game two winning 7-1. So their batting depth has been very, very good. Game three winning 14-3, which is some of those numbers that we saw earlier on in the season coming to coming to fruit. And obviously in game four uh, winning 4-2. Um, Brisbane, obviously, this weekend, uh, it's it's a hard series. What, what do you do with... Uh, with the final round, with Adelaide obviously clinching top spot and a home final, a home prelim final, how uh, how do we see them playing this? Do they, do they go hell for leather and try and keep the winning form going or do they try and experiment with a couple of players that need a little bit of game time? I think they'll, I think they'll keep going. You know, um, I think Winning form is yeah, good form? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, fair call. So we play the best of three 
game prelim final series. Starts on January 26th. Yeah. Uh, looks like we get all of those home prelim finals because we have finished top. Yeah. The uh, uh, 1v4 at the moment, it looks like it's going to be the Melbourne Aces. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. But obviously the second v third spot, the l- lower ranked team, I believe, gets game one and the higher ranked team gets game two yeah. and three. So yeah. it's a little bit of an interesting yeah, uh, finals for- format this year, but um, obviously not splitting up the um, uh, north and south, east and west uh, type division. So it's just been a-, a race to the finish and the Giants obviously finishing top and their tilt at back-to-back is what we're really looking forward to the most. And also, it was great to get a win for Quincy's 2,000th game, <laughs> which is pretty... It does show around the world how much baseball they play and how many different leagues and all that. But, yeah, 2,000, it's a pretty mind-boggling thing. That is a big, big number, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah. All right, mate, we move on to the SNFL. This week, we're going to talk about West Adelaide. Uh, West Adelaide's Cummings for 2024. Patrick Wilson, which we had talked yeah. about previously, obviously, last week with Sturt. Brady Searle, uh, Tom Rundle, and Kobe Tozer. Yeah. Um, played, obviously, at Nord. And that so I've seen Co play a fair bit in the in the twos. Um, is is that a case of just wanting a little bit more game yeah, time, a little a bit, bit more opportunity? Um, we're actually hoping he was going to have a kick and a catch for Adelaide Uni at one stage. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, I'll certainly follow him with interest at. Uh, I think. At uh, a, oh, geez, high sense, high sense arena. arena yeah. Yep. Um, uh, Brady Searle is an interesting one for me. That's a very good pickup for them. Yeah. So. It'll be interesting to go. It's, um, well, they've lost a few too, so yeah. we'll talk about their goings now. We've got Jonathan Beach. Michael, it's a big loss. Uh, that is a big loss. Uh, Michael Mattingly, Caden uh, Brand, Nick Steele, Owen Malady, Reese yep. uh, Nichols, Frayne Babic, yep. uh, Jordan Boyle, Nick Karalupus. We'll leave it at that yep. one there. Bailey Chamberlain, Kane Sherlock, and... Kyle Roberts, uh, like a lot of these teams, uh, high turnover of players and just doing obviously a little bit of the background on them, they are going back to local footy and this is what we've continued yeah. to talk about is that maybe some of those commitments are just sort of uh, making a heart. It's out of whack. Yeah, yeah I, I just think SNFL clubs have got to be a bit smarter because it, it's all clubs are losing plenty. Um, be another Nord one to come yet. Um, and yeah, I just think that They've got they've got it all out of whack, and I think a lot of it's to do with the AFL, though. Do you it think it is? But I think the coaches get consumed and the level, and they're because they're quite a few of them are out of the AFL thing that they they're failing to see that. Hang on, this yes. isn't the be all and end all, and yeah, I just think we're massive. Personally, yep. I think we're massively out of whack. It's okay for the for the youngster and all that, but all of a sudden if there's 25, 26, you might be taking a step up with work, mm-hmm. marry or kids, whatever. Yep. I just I really think we are virtually almost forcing the competition to become younger and younger and I yeah, I, I is is it also a case of though that we we like to I suppose pump up and 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 push that you know this is the second best league outside of the AFL, and that we're trying to maintain those high standards. Is it a little bit of that? Yeah, maybe, maybe. I just 
Yeah. And obviously, yes, NFL coaches are looking for that opportunity to re-enter the AFL system. Awesome. Yeah. So there is a, there's yeah. a yeah, like you said, the balancing act is yeah. is huge. So, yeah. uh, how do we see West Adelaide going this year? Oh, look, I think they'll struggle. Um, being honest, I look, I. I mean, I know. Look, we're in January. With yeah. what? What? The second week of January, or yeah, going look, to the third so week of January. It's, too, it's early in that way. I, I just hope a few things improve in all regards. There, not, and that's not actually having a go at West Adelaide people, mm-hmm. but let's just say it's a battle for clubs to still be solvent and trading and be around. Yep. And that's going to be the next challenge that obviously we're going to be probably talking about as the year goes on. All right, mate, uh, we're going to go on to the soccer. Adelaide United, we did talk about it. Huge win against Sydney 4-3 after being up 3-1 at the halftime break. Uh, They were 1-0 down at one stage, so first time all year that they've actually had to come from behind, and they did it it in style. First time they've done it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, and certainly a game ebb and flowed. And a couple of Adelaide's goals were just clinical. The build-up was just brilliant. Precision was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you couldn't ask for much more. Uh, obviously, being down 1-0 after seven minutes, there was no panicking, obviously, from the Adelaide United coaching bench and did very, very well to get it back. But Sydney didn't give up. The Late, obviously, in the, half, in the second half there, they went from 4-1 down to almost pinching the unthinkable and coming out with a four-all draw. Yeah, it was a nervous last couple of minutes. <laughs> it was. So, but, uh, yeah, can, so Hiroshi Ibazuki uh, getting a hat-trick. It's certainly the first, I'm trying to find it, it's certainly the first hat-trick from Adelaide in, I think it's nearly about 10 years. So yep. can't exactly find that at the moment who scored the last one. But, yeah, it's... And, it, well, he set up the cross for yeah, Irukunda's as well. goal as well. well so, so he had a big game. He did have a huge game. Uh, yeah. Hopefully we get to keep him for a little bit longer and yeah. doesn't get traded as part of this next lot of trade window. So yeah. very, very important. Obviously, Adelaide United uh, still building as the season goes on. Really looking forward to what they're going to dish up in the next couple of weeks. And they actually have a break now and don't play until January 25. The, the game this week, because Western Sydney Wanderers haven't got a stadium at the moment, gets postponed. Yes. Why that didn't get moved to over here... And then if Adelaide were due to play them again later on, switch that to there, yes. I can't work out at all. It's Or you haven't got a stadium if we're not scheduled, not having the schedule and all that. In front, either way, that game for me should have been just played here. Yeah. Played here. Well, yeah, I mean, you don't, definitely don't want to forfeit a game. No, no. It's, it's, the but, game gets played. But but it's interesting that, yeah, there's plenty of other stadiums that could be available. Well, and, considering they've just played... The equivalent of gather round. So Adelaide played Sydney in Sydney, and it was an Adelaide away, uh, Adelaide home, home game. Yes, in against Sydney over there. So I thought, therefore, hey, hang on, you've already almost set the standard there. Yes. So it should have been here this week, but anyway, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll move on. Yep. All right, mate. We're going to take a very, very quick break. When we come back, past players, past legends, Nick Winter. Absolutely looking forward to this chat. Yeah, South Australian left arm, medium pacer, swing bowler. Uh, a role with the Cricket Australia. Looking forward to having a chat with Nick. Absolutely, Nick. Coming up after this short break. You're listening to the Game On Podcast. We'll be right back after this short break. Past players, 
Past legends. Past legends. Welcome tonight, Nick uh, Winter and the dog in the background there, Nick, making sure you've got plenty of company. Uh, sorry, sorry. No, nah, that's all right, mate. Uh, 22 uh, first-class matches, 431 runs, high score of 53. We will cover that. Uh, 78 wickets, average of 30, and lots of big bash clubs, etc. And we'll let you sort of cover that as we go along. Obviously, a successful career also for here for Tetra Gully and Adelaide University, originally from Canberra. Welcome aboard, Nick. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. That's a um, yeah, big introduction. There's a lot of teams there, like you said, and not as many games as I would have liked. But yeah. yeah a, a good 10-year career, nonetheless. It's obviously very fortunate to even reach the level, so I'm very thankful for it. Now, mate, Malcolm just mentioned there, obviously, coming from Canberra. Um, some early playing days in your juniors in Canberra. Is there... A club or a school or a um, a role that you were playing back then? Yeah, I dad dad was in the army, um, and so we moved around with dad a lot when uh, we were younger. We settled in Canberra from uh, when I was in year four, and I went to St Edmunds College um, from year four right through to year twelve. So I've got a lot to thank for St Edmunds. I did um, the typical rugby and soccer in the winter and cricket in the summer with a bit of tennis. So I was a busy boy, and then. Um, started playing uh, my first interactions with male um, open cricket was at Eastlake Cricket Club. Um, so I started playing fifth grade there. I'd play for St. Edmunds in the morning and then go to Eastlake in the afternoon and play fifth grade and then worked my way up. And I think I made my A grade debut at about 15 or 16. And um, yes, yeah, stayed at stayed at Eastlake all the way through till I was contracted at South Australia. So um, pretty, pretty special little spot in my heart for St. Edmunds and Eastlake. Um, Got some good friends that I still keep in contact with, and um, Canberra was a good. It was probably a good place to grow up because you got lots of opportunities. Um, you played in the second eleven competition back then as the Comets, and yep. um, I was I was well looked after. So yeah, I've got a lot to thank for my upbringing. Fair, fair to say, cricket was number one then. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Rugby. I went to a, a big private boy rugby school, so um, I played in the first fifteen, and that was actually probably. Um, more acceptable than playing cricket. So that was yeah, um, how you're sort of judged at school if you're in the first 15 or not for rugby. So I was fortunate enough to just sort of hide out on the wing um, in the rugby union team and kick a few goals. But it got to the stage where I started to realise that I was probably um, not built for rugby and I was starting to actually do a right at cricket. So um, sort of made some conscious decisions around 16, 17, 18 to really put my time and effort into that. And we're fortunate enough to have uh, Nick as our guest at sports camps a few weeks ago now. And interestingly enough, Pete, Nick had done quite a few of those Mm -hmm. himself. So it would have brought back a few memories there a few weeks ago there, Nick. Yeah, it did. That was was so before Canberra with Sydney. As I said, we we chopped and changed to a few cities. But we I probably did probably four um, ASC. They were called ASC back in the day. Um, So I did ASC camps with Tony Miles. So... Um, that was, you know, in hindsight, it was probably dad just trying to dish my brother and I off for a few days in the <laughs> yes. holidays to get a break. But as kids, we absolutely, absolutely loved it. We had Doug Walters would come and do his yes. bat, batting masterclass and tell us to tuck our shirts in and put the pads on the right way. But it was it was just such great interaction. We I reckon I've, Scott, Scotch College, yeah. 
I reckon I've done eight with Doug, and all I can yeah. say is that every drinking story you've heard about Doug is true. I, I'm convinced <laughs> he's got two livers. He's incredible, yeah. 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 I can imagine. I, some I was of my best memories, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was probably too young to yes. uh, have an appreciation for the character that Doug was, but um, he, he ran a well-respected clinic. We, we didn't ever dare step out of line when he was uh, running his batting master class, so um, good on him. And this was right at the early days of the uh, of anyone trying a reverse sweep, and one youngster's asked him one day, how do you play the reverse sweep? Dougie said, it's a very easy shot to play. You attempt it, and I kick you in the ass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was never, say. I've never forgotten that with Doug's reply. I just absolutely pissed myself. So yeah, was, yeah a great character. So you found yourself uh, heading to South Australia in two thousand and thirteen and fourteen. Yeah, I did. Yeah, so I um I played three under nineteen carnivals. Um, just is the way with uh, ACT you sort of get a couple of goes at it because yep. you play a little bit younger. Um, and I'd actually. I didn't know it at the time, but we played South Australia in a second 11 match um, and I had done quite well. I took four for, uh, and unbeknownst to me, Tim Nielsen was watching and that was on the back of a under-19 carnival where I was, I think I was the second leading wicket taker behind Cam Valenti, um, but we both were um, quite high above the other sort of competitors. So, yep. uh, yeah, I remember I was at my Eastlake uh, presentation dinner um, I'd had, you know, maybe a couple of beverages and I got, I got a call at night time from Tim Nielsen asking if I'd be interested in coming across to South Australia on a rookie contract. So that was one of the most special nights of my life because obviously Canberra is designed to basically produce players to get poached by other states. Well, Brad Haddon was in that equation, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to get that phone call was um, very special and I had my teammates and family around me. So it was a pretty emotional little night that. So, yeah. Managed to get across in 2013 and 14. The rest is history. And of course, you were Teacher Gully originally, and then you actually started 15, 16, did a decent tour the muscle in your side. So that would have been frustrating there for a while there, uh, Nick. Yeah, the, my first couple of years um, were, you know, at the time you're young and eager and chomping at the bit to get into the team, and I sort of had to wait my time and, I actually lost my contract after my third rookie season uh, because at the time you had sort of Chad Sayers, Joe Manny, Kane Richardson, all these guys who were in their prime. And to make the jump up onto a full contract, they just didn't have the space. So that coincided with me um, moving to Adelaide Uni. It was nothing actually really to do with Teacher Gully. It was just yep. a more a lifestyle decision. I was studying at Adelaide Uni and I was living close by to the campus and um, it was just sort of tying all my eggs into one basket. And at the time, again, coming from Canberra, you just don't know um, how cricket's going to go and losing your contract is a pretty hard thing. So, um, yeah, the first couple of years are always, uh, always a bit tricky and you, you're a bit young and naive to the system. So there's a lot of learning. After that three-year period where I had the three rookies um, and then obviously lost my contracts and, and that's when I made that, that decision to move and in between that, I had a, that little side strain as well that ruled me out of the Renegades after my yeah. first year at the Renegades was actually quite successful and I was building a little bit of momentum and that side strain came at a, a pretty bad time. So, uh, yeah, that, that's when I made the switch to, to Adelaide Uni and had a year off contract, but it was probably the best thing for me because you regained a little bit of passion for the game and just went out of the system, figured things out and then came back in um, after a year out. So, yeah. 
I had a good year there. And, of course, you also played over for Plumtree. Tell us about yeah. that, that over at Nottinghamshire, mate. I did. That was that was that tied in when I found out I lost my contract and I'd been injured for a fair chunk of that season. I I thought the best thing for me is just to get over to England, play some cricket and just um, have, a, have a life experience as well over there. All the boys obviously talk about playing. Um, in England, I obviously couldn't play higher than local cricket because of uh, not representing Australia or I didn't have a British passport. But yep. um, Plumtree was awesome. I stayed with a family called the Carters. Um, they looked after me. In, in again, it was a, a very tough time for me losing my contract, a little isolated and lost. So the Carter family looked after me and playing in Nottingham, I actually didn't perform that well. I went back to England a second time and did a lot better. But I think the life... Um, skills and the experiences that I had over there just traveling through Europe and um, learning how to perform as an overseas pro they're all things that you can't actually I guess teach or learn until you're over there living in the moment. Go through also what you've studied Nick because that's quite interesting as well mate fill us in there. Yeah Um, yeah, I've done a lot and it ties back to my um, St Edmunds days I took my study quite seriously as did my dad he always um pushed me not pushed me but we were always took that stuff um pretty seriously so i I did an international studies and politics degree at adelaide uni um then moved into two postgraduate courses one in business management and one in leadership and development i think and then i'm just doing my mba at the moment so almost finished my master's, which will be a nice feeling because I've done it for a while. And it's um, as, as every sort of cricketer does, when I do something, I do it to the best of my ability. So it's been a lot of time and effort into that, but um, it'll be rewarding once it's done. That's oh, uh, fairly significant. Absolutely. <laughs> there, Nick. Uh, I admit I uh, no, it was a bit of a standard joke with Fred Chocoblock at Adelaide Uni that I was the number one graduate of Football 1H as the studies <laughs> in terms of that. that I, and that, uh, yeah... That was my my time at uni was just through <laughs> footy at uni, not actually yeah, studying. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, no, that's good. Mate, we'll jump back a little bit. Uh, obviously, yep. you talked a little bit about the Renegades and being involved in the the BBL. Just take us through some of those experiences. Obviously, you know you you grew up in Canberra and you moved around a little bit, so the moving side of it probably wasn't the the, the hardest part about it. But playing with different teammates and different competitions, um, yeah. Know, Go, th- go through some of those experiences. Well, the Renegades, first of all, the Renegades one came out of the blue and it was probably similar to my soccer story. I'd done quite well against Victoria in a Futures League game. You don't really know who's watching. And my manager called me up one day and um, I think I was 20 or 21 and he just said, do you want to go to the Melbourne Renegades? And I thought he was sort of joking. And obviously I, I made my way down there pretty quickly. Um, and... You know, on Fox on Fox Sports the other day, they were doing throwbacks to classic games, and I, it was the season. Well, I spent three seasons at at the Renegades, but one of the seasons um, we had a ninety thousand um, Melbourne That's Derby right. and a forty five thousand yeah. yeah. Melbourne Derby. So that was my first season there, and I remember I was playing with um, Andre Russell, Dwayne Bravo. We had Ben Stokes. Um, we played against. A Melbourne Stars team, which had Kevin Peterson, Luke Wright, Maxwell, um, James Faulkner. So all of a sudden, I was 21. I actually played in one of the Melbourne derbies, and I was just so overwhelmed by who I was on the field with and who I was playing against. It was um, 
I remember I used to love Kevin Peterson when I was a little kid. I used to watch him with his blonde mohawk batting, and then yeah. I'm out in the middle of the Eddie had bowling to him. So um, it was all all a bit surreal, and you learn a lot around those people. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed the the Renegade time. It was the thing that probably not frustrated me, but is the most disappointing is I was there three years. I had three different head coaches, one of which um, I was injured for the season. So I was always sort of chasing my tail. I was always starting from the bottom and having to work yeah. my way up. Um, yeah. So it was it was tough to get any momentum. And that's, you know, at the end of the three years, I hadn't played for the last two. And that's when I sort of headed off to the strikers. So um, in the end, it, you know, I, I did, I was a bit of a journeyman in BBL. That's probably because it wasn't my forte. I was generally sort of a bit of a gap filler for squads and yeah. they'd work out their first 16 players and then plug a gap with me at the back end. And um, Hobart was probably the other, I got to play, yeah. I think three or four games at Hobart. I really enjoyed that environment and I felt like they had a bit more trust in me. That was the days of the X factor. So they were trying to utilize me to, you know, bowl an over or two up top with the swinging ball and then, you know, work me into the game in other ways. So probably the Renegades and Hobart stood out for me as, um, yeah, my favourite two memories in the BBL. Yeah, I'm on to first-class cricket. Personally, far more interest personally, Nick. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't deny that. That's why I, I got the BBL yeah. out of the way first, mate, because yeah. I know this is this is your wheelhouse. Yeah, so you yeah put, I was not a white ball player. Uh, oh, I can sort of take it or leave it. I, it's probably my <laughs> bit there. Um yeah. Um, so 22 first-class games, Nick. Yeah. So you're yeah. bowling, your left-arm mediums, etc. How do you How did you feel in that way about bowling on some of the flat tracks around Australia? Not super tall either. So it's yeah. You know, it's it's an interesting proposition. I, I know you know Brett Swain was unlucky enough where he hurt his back and lost just that fraction of pace hurt him. Uh, Pretty prominent Adelaide, Adelaide, former Adelaide captain in Simon Goodwin was going to be considered exactly the same yep. to you as yep. you, Nick, with a left arm medium pacer. And then he got picked late in the, he got picked originally right late in the draft in the in the January draft when he was South Australian under nineteen captain. So oh, okay. similar along that line. So how do you yep. feel with the? And of course, we will talk about your game in Sydney where you did take <laughs> 10, 10 for in the game and helping South Australia win the game. So. Yeah, yep. just in that side of things, Nick. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a tricky conundrum, isn't it? Because you have no other choice. So you yes. either make it or you don't make it. And I'd learned all through my juniors and, um, you know, even senior premier cricket, they're the conditions in Australia that you're going to get. You may once a season go to Tasmania and play at Blundstone and you get a bit of a green one or go up to the Gabba. Yeah, but yeah. Especially in Adelaide, it, it is pretty low and slow and you've got to be creative. Um, the left arm angle can be great at times when the ball's swinging and new. It brings um, in so many forms of dismissals and because batsmen obviously don't get to face a lot of it. Um, you know, you're, you're a weapon when the ball's new, but then when the ball gets old and all of a sudden it's pretty tough to get LBWs because you're always pitching outside leg. Yeah. Um, yep. You come around the wicket and then you're not sort of challenging the outside edge of the bat. So you do you do struggle a lot. And like you said, I wasn't gifted to be six foot five and bowl 145 yeah. like a few others. So it, it's always been a bit of a grind at the next level. Um, 
I obviously tried to do my best and the running joke around me using the Duke's ball. But at the end of the day, the Duke's ball just exemplified, or sorry, probably exaggerated my, my best features, which was swinging the ball and challenging the front pad. And um, when I, when I used the kookaburra, I was able to do that with the new ball and I still had a little bit of success, but it was just obviously the kookaburra ball swings for, you know, five, six overs. And then yeah. it's pretty much That's just it. a waiting yep. game, isn't it? So, um, yeah, at the end of the day, that's that's what cost me, and I, that's why I only played 22 games. Is because um, when when the pitches got flat, I probably lacked that little bit of X factor. But um, on my day, uh, and this is why when like I said when I went over to England the second time, that was on the back of me playing regular shield cricket. I went over there with a jute ball when the ball was swinging for 50 overs, and yeah. um, all of a sudden, you know, you're taking big big bags of wickets consistently because you're, you're always in the game. So I, I, I don't want to be the typical bowler and complain too much. I would, I would love to have been probably born over in England in some ways to have yeah. played over in those conditions because yep, that's I'm, fair def- enough. I'm definitely, yeah, I'm definitely not suited to Adelaide, but at the end of the day, um, you know, it probably at times makes it more rewarding when you walk off the field with three, four, five, five and you know that it's, it's been a hard hard grind with your teammates out there to achieve that. You did develop your batting too, Nick, and it, it did show consistent improvement. You you valued your wicket, probably developed a few more shots along the lines, and, yeah, so you... Because, <laughs> you know, you were the, the stoic sort of defensive partnership guy, but, yeah, you did develop and work the ball around probably a bit more as got older there too, mate. Yeah, I did, yeah. I think um, probably tying into that earlier point when you're... When you're not the number one quick or number two quick, you've got to bring something else to the team. So I, I prided myself on trying to be the best of the bowlers. Um, found myself as night watchman, which yes. <laughs> at times wasn't great. Um, actually, I was with Josh Hazelwood the other week, and I just remember once I was batting in the morning of a Shield game, and he hit me in the head that morning, and then we got um, all out not long after, and we bowled, bowled them out, and we had three overs to bat. And Jake Weatherald, for some reason, had rolled up the whole New South Wales team. Um, and first ball, first ball, he got out to Josh Hazelwood, and they were giving him an absolute send off. And then they saw me striding back out for the second time in a day. And I just remember the look on Josh Hazelwood's face when he saw me for a second time. Um, so those those moments aren't fun, but I, I did. I, I prided myself on. Um, on my batting, I know I wasn't, again, super gifted, but especially where I was batting number eight, you were always batting with a batsman or a wicketkeeper. So there was no excuses to go out there and throw your wicket away. If you're batting number 11 and you're either number 10, you can go and have a slog. But, um, yeah, I, I always had accountability on me to actually hang in there and just try and face balls because if I was facing balls, then the batter at the other end had time to, to score more runs. I don't and- think you got massive respect around the traps for that, that you did value your wicket and you did give 150% all the time. Yeah, I think, I think you've got to. It's, um, you know, I'd probably go the other way and say if you didn't do that, it's a bit of a cop-out at that yeah. level. Like it, it's, it's almost expected now that, again, like I said, if, if you're the last wicket and you're just bashing for some quick runs, then fair enough. But pretty much at all other times, you need to be, you know, you're playing for your state, you're representing... You're representing all the other people that wish they could be out there. So the yeah. least thing you can do is show a bit of grit. So uh, yeah. yeah, 
No, well summed up. As you said, batting down the order there, uh, highest score of 53. What are your memories of that innings? Um, I actually, yeah, I think I got 35 not out as well in the second innings. Yeah. So I was yep. in a bit of um, – that was it was a good WA team. They had Jai Richardson, um, Cam Green was bowling, David Moody, who actually used to bowl pretty fast. Yeah, and he Mitch Marsh, one. Yeah, yep. yeah, Mitch Marsh was playing. So – um, not a not a bad bowling attack. That I've, I remember at the Sydney Sixers, I was talking to Josh Philippi, and he he said the Wacker boys hated me because, and it's true actually. I, I actually made most of my rounds against the Wackers. I don't know why, but um, maybe because they're bowling a little bit quicker, and especially at the Wacker, it just hits you, hits the outside half of your bat and flies off for four. So um, yeah, that that one was at Adelaide Oval, and it was actually nice to get the monkey off the back to get a fifty in shield cricket. It's always uh, always a good feeling for the stats as well. Uh, well, it's on the stats now; it can't be changed. Yeah, yeah. So. Exactly right. Exactly right. Now, I think I'd be shot by Rob O'Shaughnessy and a few of the uni boys if we didn't bring up the successful era at Uni Cricket Club there as sure, well, mate. Sure. So go go there with your favourite memories of playing at the Blacks, mate. Well, gee, I don't know if there's a favourite memory. What I would say is that it was a really good time to be involved. And what, what drove that is that, um, you know, I had, you had myself, Will Bazisto, who was around the Redbacks yes. team. Sam Kerber was around the Redbacks yep. team. Jake, Jake Weatherald, Wes Agar, young Kyle Brazell. Um, we had probably a core group of six or seven guys who were all at that first class level or wanted to be at that first class level. So when we came back to club cricket, um, there was some really high standards being driven. We had Ben Wackham, who had been in and around yep. um, as well, played a few second 11 games. So um, the actual club culture was one that was actually probably more mirrored to first-class cricket, and that reflected on the field. So um, not not to discount, you know, Tetri Gully also had a very, very successful era in my first three years. We won, yep. I think, five, That's five right. flags. Yeah, you did too, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so Apologies, I probably yeah. had, yeah, two... two two little windows with two different clubs where I think in both we would have won five or six flags um, in sort of three, four year windows. So, um, but very fortunate because at the end of the day, you, you know, you cherish those memories as well, playing premier cricket and you get the whole club behind you. Um, and for uni, especially that was the first two day flag that they'd won in yeah. a long, long time. So yeah. it was um, pretty special to be a part of that. That uh, was a good, great memory. That one. Yeah. Um, yeah. A uni oval, etc. Now, mm-hmm. um, best before we go on, best bowling mate, five for forty eight, uh, and ten yep. for in the game, and ten for in the game. Uh, yes, yeah. You just be pinching yourself a little bit, going, "I'd like to do that week in, week out." And beating New South Wales, <laughs> well, that as yeah. well. Yeah, it started off with a bang. So I was five for in my first innings, um, and I remember I debuted with Harry Nielsen, and he made a hundred in the first innings. So there was a stat that I think we we're only the second or third ever combination to get 105 for as two debutants um and then went into the second game where i took the 10 for so uh you know i was pretty excited with first class cricket yeah. there when i had 15 wickets in two games and we'd beaten new south Wales. um but no it's it was funny because as soon as you as soon as i got to three wickets in all of those innings it was not selfish but i was i was hunting fifers and i think that's the mantra that all good bowlers have yeah. is you want to be influencing the game and, and dominating the game. So in all of those occasions and, and whenever I bowled, but especially, you know, when you've got three or four and you know, it's your day, um, you, you've got to capitalize on that, especially at first class cricket, because you don't get those chances too often. So um, yeah, the, the 10 for it, the SCG was obviously super special. I had my family watching that driven up from Canberra 
Um, you know, the first time I'd ever played at the SCG, there's that aura about New South Wales. Yes. Um, so to beat them at their home ground to win, you know, I was, I'd lived, I lived with Daniel Worrell when I first moved to Adelaide and he yep. took, I think back to back forfers in or a forfer, I know in one of the innings. So, you know, we'd contributed quite significantly with the ball there, which was um, very special to get my first win. Um, yeah. With those guys. And Nick, the other thing though, you've always been pretty switched on and realistic of where sure. career and all that was at. So your role as the representative with Cricket Australia and, and go through how that's evolved and what you're currently doing and fill everyone in. Because that's a newly created role, yeah. if I'm led to believe. Is that right? Uh, yeah, so I was, I was delegate um, for South Australia. for yeah. uh, I, I sort of dipped my toe in the waters and then when Alex Ross um, lost his contract, I actually there's two per team. I reached out to Callum and said that I'd be keen to um, fill the role of delegate and that was... That was partly for um, the opportunities while I was playing, but it was also to set myself up for post cricket. Um, so I actually one of the, one of the main reasons for my move back to Teacher Gully is um, a former umpire called Jeff King. He has an investment company, and I started working with Jeff, um, and that's now transitioned into my full time role. And then the ACA role. Um, they had a, a person go and leave, and so I stayed in contact with the ACA. And basically, when they need a bit of a gap filler, especially in South Australia, then um, it's basically I've just continued on almost as that delegate role. So I've just been filling in, um, yeah, filling in gaps, helping out where I can. There's a test match function this Friday, so I'll attend the test match function. Um, and it's just good to keep me in contact with the boys. So obviously I'm no longer playing, so I can still go and hang around the South Australian boys, see what's on their mind, see if there's any issues pressing. Um, I'm sure there's not too many, but um, yeah, it's it's a nice way to stay involved. With and what did you do with the Test match just recently? The you know Glenn McGrath pink test, yeah, etc. Yeah, go just through helped, that, mate. Yep. Yeah, so just uh, was was with the team, um, helping them out with a few different little bits and pieces, more logistics behind the scenes. And this was just on behalf of the ACA again. So they needed someone just to step up and fill in for a couple of days while the normal person who travels with the team was away. So just helped liaise um, with people up in Sydney, organise some of the events, the New Year's, uh, the Jay McGrath high tea, even a little bit to do with David Warner's. um, He had a little bit of a function after the match. So. Um, just being able to be in and around the inner sanctum, see what the guys are like in at the team hotel or behind the scenes. It was a pretty cool experience. Could have pinched a cap while you were there, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was my that was my first day around the team, and I was yeah. like, Jesus, what's happening here?" So yeah, that would have been a bit different. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Do you have a nickname, Nick? No, I don't. Uh, pretty pretty standard. Just anything like Wince or yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, pretty pretty basic. The the boys didn't get too creative with the last name uh, with Winter. They yeah, well, anything to do with snowy or anything like that. I, th- I think we might have to uh, to give you one on the podcast. Uh, talk. <laughs> you, you talked about being the man for all occasions and filling in everywhere. I reckon yeah. Sally's would probably be uh, oh, a pretty good that's one. Not that's, not one. Not that's not a yeah, bad one. That's not a bad one at all. Bad. Not it bad. might take some explaining, though, when I have to um, tell people. But I do like that. That's actually a good one. Uh, we'll, we'll work on some sponsorship for you, mate. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> that'd be nice. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so Nick, in terms of also um, father and all, fatherhood and all that recently and along those lines, so yeah, yep. life gradually moving along in that way too, mate. It is. Life is certainly moving along very fast. So I had uh, 
little Bernie uh, in 2022. Yeah. So, sorry, time, time does move really fast when you're counting back those years. Um, we got married as well in 2021. There was a little bit of issues around COVID, so delaying weddings and whatnot. So it's been a, a hectic few few years. So Bernie's now almost two, and then we've got um, another little bub. We don't know what sex yet, but another yep. little bub coming in four weeks. So it, it's an exciting time. It's it's challenging. Every day is challenging, but also super rewarding. And, um, you know, probably one of the most, dis- not disappointing, but having my last year, where I, I struggled a lot with my performances and I knew I was going to get delisted and I was falling out of passion with the game of cricket. Um, it, was, it coincided with Bernie's first couple of months um, on the planet. And so that was probably the hardest part was trying to balance being present at home and being a really good father to him, but also having some seriously like significant life-changing um, issues and decisions being made, you know, between nine to five yeah. um, on a day. So that 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 would probably fueled a little bit of my decision not to play this year. I'd, I'd, I'd well and truly given cricket my all, but I'd, I'd lost a lot of passion for the playing side of it. And um, probably all the factors we've spoken about when you're not getting picked consistently and you're fighting so hard for opportunities and you give it your all, you, you sort of get to the end of it and you're just completely drained and, for me, it was time to put my time and effort into being a father and finishing off my studies and, um, you know, getting into the workforce. And I've actually started doing a lot of um, ultra running with Johan Bota and he's inspired me a little bit. So I did a um, a half, uh, sorry, a half marathon race yesterday and I did an ultra marathon race with Johan back in September. And I've got a couple of plans to sort of dive into some triathlon stuff later in the year. So um, I'm fueling my competitive side that way, but just not chasing a red ball around all day. Um, so and imagine how competitive Johan would be with doing that with him too. So that's probably a pretty a good person to do that sort of thing mm. with because of his incredible, just combative nature in general. Oh, he's an absolute machine. Um, Johan was my first captain at South Australia and I knew it then, but I never really got the opportunity to I only play to one day under him um, yeah. and then he sort of finished up. I had a little bit to do with him at Adelaide Uni, but again, because I was then playing shield cricket, I, yeah. missed, I yep. missed him. But he's been awesome just to bounce ideas off, and I'm finding my feet in that. But I look, you know, I he's great for me because I'm comparing um, my progress against his, but he's obviously just a superstar at everything he does. So he's yeah. a good one to keep driving me. Um, and again, like I said earlier, when – when you've been in the system for 10 years and even my Canberra years before that, I've sort of had that um, ingrained attitude that always striving for more and just pushing myself. So it'll be interesting to see what this transition, or well, I guess what it transfers into and yep. how far, not how far I can go because I don't want to ever do it too ridiculously seriously, but I, I will push myself Um and, you know, I do have ambitions to do some seriously big events. So, um, yeah, it'll be an exciting little period. I, I know you years. well enough, Nick, that you'll be pretty yeah. bloody competitive with it too, mate. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We'll so, sounds like you've got the uh, the work-life, sport-life balance uh, just starting to work out very, very nicely, mate. I um, do. It's, yeah, oh, sorry, I was just going to no? say, you, you, you need a supportive partner because um, even, even the ultra-distance training actually does end up taking – a little bit of time and yep. she um, 
she is very supportive of me, but she knows how I operate. And for me, my biggest sort of mental relief and way to, my biggest way to calm myself down is actually to go out and train. It's just something I've always done. So I'm, I'm gymming pretty much every day and running pretty much every day or some form of cardio. So that's my, you know, way to release tension and then she can watch some gossip drama at night time and I'll do the baby. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That does right. bring back similar memories there as well, mate. Yeah. Um, uh, mate, we'll get you out of here on this one. Uh, who are the, some of the best players you've played with and against? We'll start yeah. off with uh, who you played with. Um, you can pick two or three. We, we... Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to think. It's a good question. Uh, you know, Travis, Travis is obviously – you watch Travis bat sometimes and he just blows you away because of how, you know, he looks like he's playing stick cricket at times. He just hits every ball um, wherever he wants. I I was also, I'm trying to think of an individual player from the Sydney Sixers, um, maybe Moses or Sean Abbott, but they, as a whole, the Sydney Sixers team actually really impressed me. Their culture that they had of... Yeah. Um, probably, I probably wasn't used to it coming from Saka because we hadn't had a lot of success. And I went into the Sixers environment, who obviously were the polar opposite. They're just winners by nature. And they've got Dan Christian and the New South Wales boys. And I was just sort of taken back by their their way of going about cricket. They just, no matter what or who, they they would be disappointed, borderline disgusted if they lost um, yeah. any game. And it was just expected that they won. And that probably flowed into their cricket. They were just always confident and, um, you know, one step ahead of the opposition. So, uh, yeah, probably Hetty, obviously, his his batting is just superb. But as a probably team-wise, maybe the Sydney Sixers were, um, yeah, really special to be a part of. Yeah, and- unfortunately, it's just an attitude we've never managed, Yeah. Yeah, I'm 60, it, and we've never really managed it. Probably a little bit under Ian, many, 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 many moons ago. Probably the clo- the closest I think we ever had to having that. Yeah, so a bit frustrating in that way. Yeah, it 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 comes from success, doesn't it? When yeah. like success breeds success, and I can imagine when you had sort of Dizzy and Buff and Jamie Siddons and that core group of players as well. That that would have been a, a tough a tough team to play against from um, an opposition point of view. But, yeah, like you said, I probably never quite nailed that in my 10 years. And the boys this year are getting closer. But, again, that's, you know, you want to be – you're not you're not there to come third or fourth, are you? So you're there to win. And that I think you're right what you said with Jamie there, that the year we, we lost the Shield, we did the unthinkable. We managed to get Queensland <laughs> their first ever Shield win, but then won it the next year. And so we were around the mark there, and we just missed a final as well. So we were around the mark there for – a real yeah, three yeah. or four years where that again, yeah, you're probably right in terms of just that belief and that sort of thing came aboard. No, I can imagine. I can imagine. Hey, mate, greatly appreciated, Nick. All the best no worries. Uh, with your roles there and all the best with the ultra side of things. And uh, yeah, thank yeah you. look forward to catching up and chatting more along those wise as well. So thanks, mate. No, I appreciate that. I might see you guys at the test over the week. So um, thanks, thanks for having me on. No, thank you, mate. Uh, absolute pleasure. No, I'll speak to you guys later. Thank you. Bye. Liking this podcast? Please like, rate, and subscribe. We thank Nick for his time tonight. And, uh, yeah, some interesting comments there. And, obviously, looking forward to uh, his role with Cricket Australia. Yeah, learning a bit more what's going on around the traps. And, uh, yeah, 
Thank you. Thanks, Nick, and greatly appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, let's move into Happy Days. Happy Days. All right, we're going to kick off Happy Days with Happy Birthday to Chase Jones, born in the year 2000, so that'll make him 24 this year. Um, Adelaide snapped up Jones with the number nine pick ahead of the 2019 season. The midfielder forced his way into the Crows' round one side as a small forward on the back of impressive form in pre-season competition. He's a player that's got a bit of versatility about him as well. That's the other positive thing for the Crows, isn't it? Oh, and I think he's really... He took a big step last year and was. you really noticed, quite often as is the case, you actually notice a player more... And Adelaide really missed him when he got injured in those last few weeks. And, you know, that may have cost him a final spot in the end uh, and all that. So, yeah, I think he's become a pretty important player. As you said, can play can play downs forward. Okay, probably unlikely at the moment to play that role at Adelaide unless they get a few injuries yes. in that side of things. Yep. Probably on the wing or down back, wing or half back. Yeah, I, I like him on the wing. Yeah, I think he's I think he's a pretty important player. Absolutely. So, Jones yeah. Jones took out the Mark Bickley uh, Emerging Talent Award as the Crows best young uh, player in his debut year since being drafted. Jones has showed versatility uh, in 2023 cemented his spot on the wing, which is what we just talked yep. about there, but um, Matty Nix is not uh, afraid to chuck them around in a few different positions as either. So uh, versatility is certainly the name of the game down at uh, Crowland, uh, attack on the footy and his ability to finish in front of goal is very, very important. Yeah, no, key player. Absolutely, and uh, signed through to 2026. Tasmania are coming into the competition. Do we see him making the move potentially after his next contract renewal? You just don't know. Yeah. It's going to be around a fair while by then. Um, do you want to go in? You know, if Adelaide are around the mark and contending, Yep. Um, you want to go back to a side knowing that you're probably going to struggle in your first couple. Yep. So, yeah, I won't see. Absolutely. All right, we move on to cricket, mate. 1930, uh, brilliant West Indian cricket batsman George Headley scores 157 and 176 on debut on the fourth day of the drawn first test against England at Bridgetown Barbados. Yeah, one of the greats. Yeah. I knew you'd like this one. Yeah. I think he'd walk into the obviously walk into the West Indian side now. Um, yeah, elegant is what you read about George Headley, and he's certainly one of the all-time West Indian players. And yeah, yeah. Talk about golden eras of West Indian cricket. Obviously, some players come to come to mind, and like you said, he's definitely one that you would be putting there amongst some of the West Indian greats. All right, mate. We move on to tennis, nineteen sixty-two. The 50th Australian Championship men's tennis, Rod Laver takes the first leg of his first Grand Slam, beat, beating fellow Queenslander Roy Emerson 8-6, oh, love six, holy yeah. moly. Yeah. Had an absolute shocker in the second set, 6-4, 6-4. Yeah, unusual second set score on. You wonder if he decided, right, I'm going to save a bit here in the tank. Uh, yeah, um, but yeah, look, Rocket Rod, Laver Arena, probably says it all. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, obviously Rod Laver winning a Grand Slam it doesn't happen very often, or it's not going to—I don't think—going to happen anymore. Not with the way that uh, tennis is being played these days. Um, just a fantastic tennis player as well. All right, mate. We move on to baseball. Nineteen thirty-four, New York Yankee slugger Babe Ruth. Ever heard of him, mate? 
Uh, just a little bit. Yeah, nearing yeah. the end of his illustrious career, signs a one-year contract extension worth $35,000. Represents a pay cut of 17000 for the babe. 1934-35 grand. That's yeah, that big, was big, big numbers. Money. It was still big money back then. But it's still surprising to read of a pay cut, though. For, that doesn't tend to happen so much nowadays for a, a name like that. But yeah, 35000 would have... Uh, comfortably settled for just about anything back then. So, yeah, we do have to remember the relativity of that. Absolutely. And one of the all-time greats and the curse of the Bambino for my Red Sox um, finally got broken um, after a very, very long time. Yeah. uh, Yeah, what can you say about Babe Ruth? Fantastic player. All right, mate, we finish off with basketball. uh, A little bit more current in 2023. LeBron James surpasses the 38,000 NBA career points, joining only Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the 113-112 to loss to Philadelphia 76ers at the Crypto.com Arena in Los Angeles by a single point. It would have been great if they'd won that sort of thing. But it just, probably the more the thing there, it shows basketball with, with, with the stats, you know, and all that. Like, that way, and probably... The infamous like American side of it, things where we brought up where Quincy played his two hundredth, two thousandth game. Yes, uh, this weekend they are games which lend themselves to eight million stats. Yeah, so does cricket. Let's be fair there, but yeah, it is a. Uh, well, I think the interesting yeah. part was he didn't actually sort of know too much about the statistics until a couple of weeks out. Yeah. Um. So and then. The way that they celebrated uh, that milestone with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar actually being at the at the arena and yeah. stopping the game and recognising that you know it was a pretty special achievement. Yeah. So, congratulations to LeBron James and obviously uh, still doing very very good things at the moment. All right, mate, let's get into the extra time big finish. Extra time big finish. The Adelaide 36ers will kick us off today. We've moved them down the batting order a little bit. The winning streak is over at one. Yeah, real disappointing loss to the Titans. Like they were up on various times. They were even up by 10 points in the start of the last quarter. Yeah, and then to lose by, by 10. 10. Yeah, and that with overtime. And, yeah, look, it was a pretty disappointing effort in the end. And as you've said, just stats-wise, you know, shooting at 36%. 25% from the three-point line, it does it's sum up sum it the up. year. Yeah. And it's, it shows that in their points differential where they're... Well, they're uh, about 176 yeah. points difference or whatever yeah. it is. It's a mile worse than anyone else. Yep. And, yeah, really disappointing there because it pro- it gave them a chance to probably get off the bottom of the ladder and get on a decent run. And, yeah, one step forward, two steps back probably sums up the 36ers. Absolutely. Apart uh, from their off-field crowd Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely got to be pumping about that. Uh, Adelaide 36 is playing the Southeastern Melbourne Phoenix on Wednesday night and then the Hawks on Saturday night. So they've got two reasonably winnable games there, but they just need to put it together like they did a couple of weeks ago. And uh, like I said, there's still a little ways to go in the season, but not too much. I think they'd be certainly looking at the finish line now and saying, look, let's just get out of here and start again and... Let's get this review underway, but it, it it's disappointing. It wasn't a good result for Scott Ninnis. No. Oh, it's probably, yeah, 
So disappointing. Absolutely. All right, mate, we move on to the NFL. Uh, we did talk about yeah. Bill Belichick yep. potentially uh, not being the head coach of the New England Patriots last week. Well, that is now being confirmed. Uh, they've already hired a new coach. Uh, is he on a bit of a hiding to nothing? Because, I mean, I can only put it into the uh, scenario of Sheedy uh, at Essendon. Every, yeah. Ever since Sheedy left Essendon, everybody that's been there has been on a bit of a hiding to nothing. Unless you then start off and you win two or three straight, yeah, there. But at the moment, yes, it's. But mind you, I think he'll get suitably a recompense for his time. I think it. <laughs> yes. I, I reckon you or I would be able to make that sacrifice. Oh, just yeah. a, just a small one. That's for uh, sure. Uh, obviously, you know, coming in after somebody's had a bit of a dynasty, it is it is tough. But they do have a player who has been at the New England Patriots before, so there is a bit of familiarity there. So. We'll see yeah. how that one pans out, and we'll certainly be keeping an eye on that over the next couple of weeks. And obviously, as we're leading up to the Super Bowl uh, in the next month or so, we'll be reporting a little bit more on the NFL. All right, we're going to move on to the AFLW. Port Adelaide finalised their coaching structure by adding Daniel Merritt and Kelly Bartrop to its panel. Interesting with Daniel Merritt, and probably a bit of common sense too, because he's actually come down for a role with Sturt, with Sturt uh, in the SNFL, and obviously that doesn't. Seasons there probably don't yep. clash and all that. So, yeah, it's an interesting appointment. He was pretty heavily involved with Brisbane mm-hmm. and that, so the premiership side. So it's uh, it's probably a bit of a coup, I think, for Port in that way. So, yeah. Uh, interesting that obviously Port Adelaide uh, finalising their structure with some experience there that someone has been part of an experienced program and Port are still on the build. I mean, we have to yeah, remember they've exactly. only been – been in the AFLW for a couple of seasons, so it is a fantastic coup, as you said. All right, Port Senior Coach Lauren Arnell welcomes a healthy baby girl just a few days into the new year. Congratulations. Yeah, all the best to Lauren there. So Healthy yeah. baby girl, yeah. so which is very, very good. And to finish us off on the AFLW, obviously we are a little bit out of season, so some of the news is a little bit hard to come by, but Ian Hatchard just goes on a bit of a run during her off-season and smashes the quarter marathon in Louisiana, becoming the uh, becoming first female in her class, and also fourth overall for the event. So, not too bad. You wonder whether athletics might say, "Hey, sunshine, um, yeah, there's a thing called Olympic Games and all that." Yeah, it is. Um I think Adelaide, Matty Clark will be on you <laughs> if he's listening to the podcast going, yeah. shh, don't say anything. Yeah. I can't, yeah. can't afford to lose a very, very good player in Ian Hatchard. She had a fantastic year as well. Yes, I'm sure that, uh, that that Adelaide would have thought of that straight away. So, yeah, it's it does show, though, it's probably other thing there that it's a big tick to the Crows fitness side of things that really probably wouldn't have done a huge amount of training Running a marathon, you wouldn't have thought. No. Um, and to come out and do that, it's it's a big tick probably for Adelaide as well. Absolutely. Just a lazy quarter marathon uh, in Louisiana there. Uh, so congratulations to Anne there. And uh, a couple of things to just finish us off. Why are so many stars leaving Nike? Tiger Woods has confirmed that he's leaving Nike and Michael Jordan obviously recently as well. Very I- interesting. Yeah, but you do wonder if they decided internally, well, hang on, is our return not matching investment for these millions and millions and millions of endorsements? So I actually, I actually don't mind that. I, I always, it's always bemused me that 
how does a company decide that is going to bring in mm-hmm. just an obscene amount of sales? So obviously they've done their research in the past and they've now decided at the moment, eh, maybe not. So, yeah. Obviously Tiger is a little bit of the case of that, you know, he is coming towards the end of his yeah. career. You know, he's only going to be playing, obviously, selected a amount of events uh, coming up in the future. Uh, his son has signed with a company. I'm, I, I need to actually get the name of this company, but it looks like Tiger might be sort of heading over there with his son, but in a little bit of a case of maybe a little bit of equity in the company as well. So there is opportunity there for them to potentially take a brand, a no-name brand or, a, or an emerging brand and and really pump it up with their celebrity status to further, you know, their sort of career as well. So it's going to be an interesting one as well. And then to finish us off uh, on some general um, thoughts, players' weights in the AFL not being published. What are your thoughts, mate? I mean, obviously there's a lot of comments going around at the moment that it's the softest thing we've ever had done. And I think it's going over the top. It is a bit going over the top. I think the other problem is it actually means the commentators can play around more. You know, you... You, you've heard it before. I think probably the best case was uh, Tom Hawkins standing. I'm trying to think of the port defender and all that. And it was, oh, well, now they'll just invent whatever figures. Yeah, he's like, given away 10 kilos. Oh, maybe it's 20. Maybe it's, yeah, yeah. yeah, I just think, I don't really think it it achieves anything. Um, you You do suspect that. Mental health-wise, it's along those lines. I think it's long lines of, hey, we can't do the men's. If we do the men's, we're going to have to do the do women's. women's. And so, the therefore, women's. we can't do that now. So I just think it's going overboard yep. with reality. that It's like the non-scoring of junior games. that mm. Kids all still know the score. Don't worry about that. Yep. You know, so I just... It is an interesting one for sure. All right, mate, and to get us out of here on this one, uh, the good, the bad, the ugly from this week, mate. What are you? What are your good thoughts for the week? What? Well, well, the good. You've got to say the strike is coming back. But actually, my good for the week was the game between Adelaide United and Sydney, a cracking contest, and to get over the line four three, gets them up to fifth, um, where they would have been eight eighth or ninth mm-hmm. if they'd lost that. So keeping them in the pack. Yes, I'm, I'm going to go go the. Uh, for that side of things this Absolutely. week, the, uh, and that, the, and the, also Adelaide Adelaide uh, Adelaide Giants with the baseball. Absolutely, and then the bad and the ugly for this week. Um, let me have a think on that. All right, well, Same I'll tell you my good for the week. Yeah, Adelaide is alive. We've got the tour down under, yeah. which we haven't really spoken about because, yeah. well, let's week, let's yeah. let's be honest. It is more this week, and also you know we need to do a little bit more homework yeah. on. Yep. who is here and who is not. So there is some interest there. But Adelaide's alive. I mean, last week, you know, the tennis is here. This week we've got the cricket here. We've also got the um, the, the, the tour down under as well. Again, we've said it previously, the government has done a fantastic job in obviously getting these events. They built all these hotels during the COVID yep. period. They're sitting at about 80 or 90% full at the moment, which is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, I happened to be out at Henley on the weekend, and it was just absolutely beautiful conditions. There was just people everywhere enjoying the weather as it is. So that is my good for the week. My bad is, again, well, actually, my good, I have to say, the Giants clinching top spot in their back-to-back tilt. Uh, my bad, probably a little bit of the AFL from the weight 
publishing point of yeah. view. I do sort of understand that a little bit. Um, and then, obviously, my ugly for the week continues to be the 36s. I don't want to be negative towards them, but just want to see something. Yeah. Um, like you've said previously, do something. Yeah, just as a, I think the way of summing it up, as we said, was one step forward, two back, two steps backwards. And they're doing some things right, yep. massively right, but on the ground, it just continues to frustrate to the nth degree. Well, Probably the way to I think that's where it. I think that's exactly where I'm at, mate. All right, mate. Uh, as per usual, fantastic episode. We thank Nick Winter for his time tonight. We have obviously recorded this uh, episode a little bit earlier because of the Test match cricket and, and all people's the availability. people's availability and everything else that fits in this week. So on Friday, as part of our normal episode or normal release of episode, we actually do. Our summer Series Part 1, which was Malcolm's Part 1, and I believe uh, you selected Timmy Ginevar Tim as your, one of your interviews that you quite enjoyed and we're all going to hear again, so looking forward to that. Yeah, and I just enjoyed his, his engagement with us. You know, it was quite a bit of, good bit of fun Banter, too, yep. and you know, where his phone didn't work, so it was done on Ange's phone, and you know, the, the line that I've achieved, one of my life's ambitions, <laughs> getting Ange's phone number, which has been a bit of mirth back and forth with the... Geneva's behind the scenes, yes. and yeah, so it was good fun, and yeah, he was. It's uh, just a, he's he's all classed, Tim. He is absolutely can't disagree. All right, mate, thank you very much once again for your time. Uh, as per usual, we promise to do better. In this crazy world we live in, we all need the distraction. Enjoying the show? Like, rate, and subscribe. Hook up and connect with us on social media at SportsCast SA. We'll see you next time on Game On.